chapter number five, and uh, we'll get started this morning. It is good to see everybody. Glad that you uh, did not get uh, suckered away with the wind and the rain and the storm last night. And if you didn't get it, well, then uh, just drive down through my neighborhood and you'll see it, okay? Ephesians chapter number five, if you will, we're going to go into verse number 18 again and uh, kind of do something. I entitled this message, and it's the, me- it's the title on the website, The Bible and the Bottle, and I borrowed that from Dad. So I give credit where credit's due. Uh, in Christianity Today and some of the email uh, stuff that I get from them from time to time, they, the last couple have been about plagiarism and stuff like that. So we give credit where credit's due, okay? So no plagiarism. But the the Bible and the bottle is what we're going to look at this morning because when you look at Ephesians 5, verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we've looked at the issue of being filled with the Spirit and what that looks like in our lives and the roles that we are first individually, verse 19, 20, and 21 there, how you can choose to walk in the Spirit. And as you do then in the role of a wife or in the role of a husband, here's what it looks like. The family, here's what it looks like. The, the indication out into the world, here's what it looks like. And we spent weeks and so forth looking at that. And what I want to do with you, and we'll kind of do this funny thing, funny thing, fun today, and then when we get back, we'll really get into what Paul's dealing with when he says, be not drunk, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And usually what that happens, see, is everybody comes up and says, see, look, don't drink. No drinking. Because you don't want to be drunk. And you don't want to have the excess. And you don't want to have this and drunkenness and that. And then they lay in the law and the rules. And they begin to come in and see it's sinful to drink and you shouldn't be drunken. They run you to Matthew 24 and the drunken drunkenness and all this stuff. And reality is a whole lot different when you come into the scripture. Because what Paul's dealing with, uh, come back with me to Proverbs 20. Proverbs chapter 20. When, you, when Paul is dealing with when he says, actually, hold on to that. When he says, be not drunk with wine, he is not talking about going out on a Friday night or a Saturday night and tying one on the, ro- on the bush. Okay, He's not talking about going down to, again, Dad used to call it the upholstered sewer hole. He's not going talking about doing that. He's not talking about going out and having a little too much of the fifth of this or that, or a little red, a little rosé, a little whatever. Okay, a little peppermint, a little cherry. He's not talking about that at all here in the context. Actually, what he's talking about, come over to Revelation 17. This isn't on your list, but this is what he's talking about, and this is what we're going to develop when when we come back in, in two weeks, okay? And we're going to begin to really kind of spend some time looking at this issue because when you look around the world and what's going on, and I've been, we've been teaching this with the Men's Fellowship over really the last three years, and we're going to kind of bring in some of that and, and to you guys is because the stuff we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks and we introduce and we get going, back in the 40s and the 50s, this stuff was talked about all the time. In the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, it went away. They don't talk about this. And, they, and what we're talking about is Revelation 17, verse 5. Verse 1, and there came 
one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, in whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made, and here it is, drunk with the wine of her fornication. And there's an issue that Paul is getting at in Ephesians 5 about the, the attack and the connection of the satanic policy of evil and the, and the issue of wine and the wine of her fornication that isn't going down and have, having, you know, red wine. Wasn't there a song, red wine? I don't know. There's a song about everything, right? Okay, yeah, exactly. See, look, at wow, such holy people sitting on the front row here. It's a good that you're on the front row. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So when you, when you think about this, verse 5, actually verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon the scarlet-colored beast, full of, the, of names of blasphemy and having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Now catch the comma. Babylon the Great. This is her name. Mystery. Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This is a religious system, is what he's talking about. And it's going to be personified out there in the future and under the false prophet and the Antichrist. As, okay, But they, she's the mother of harlots. When you think about all of the religions of the world out there, they come from this one system. And now, go back to Ephesians 5. In Scripture, that system is called Baal worship. They have priests. They have houses of God. They have idols. They have chalices. And we'll look, and I'll show you back over there in the tribulation, they're literally going to cause the uh, uh, saints or, or the believers to come in. Revelation there, he talk, calls them the overcomers, and they're going to behead them. And they're going to sit there in a religious ceremony and bring them up and cut them. And they're going to catch the blood that's coming out of that body in a golden cup. And they're going to have a communion service, if you think about the Roman Catholics in communion. And that blood is literally going to be blood, and he's going to cause this worship to happen. In Isaiah 14, in the proverb there, the parable there that the saints Israel is going to say to Lucifer as they cast him off into the lake of fire, and he says that he weakened the nation. There's a system. In Ephesians 2, Paul calls it the course of the world, and it's something that you and I need to be aware of and need to understand because when you see the world coming to the, part, to the pieces that it is, there's a reason for it. And I want to go back with you and lay in that groundwork, and, 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 and I'm a little... Not on, obviously, we're not in Proverbs 20, are we? Go to Proverbs 20. Let's stay on the course. I told myself, don't preach the other, preach, it's right here, don't preach the other, preach this. Okay? So, when, <laughs> no, I won't. That's why I told Linda, I said, just stay home, I'll see you this afternoon. Yeah, next week now, yeah. So, when you think about this, when Paul says, be not drunk with wine, He's talking about Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, okay, and the abominations. 
and we'll see that. He's not talking about going out and getting drunk. Now, common sense tells you what? Don't go get drunk. All right? So let's pray, and we're done early today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> woo Yeah, right? Now the front row's going nuts. The back row's going, really? And the front row's going, yeah. But when you come to Scripture, there is a lot in Scripture about drinking, about wine, about new wine and old wine and strong wine and spiced wine and all. And Proverbs 20, verse 1, this is usually the verse, these verses get used all the time. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not, what, wise. It's raging, anger. It's a, it's a verse here that's describing. Wine is a what? It's a mocker. Dece- whosoever is deceived thereby. It's important not to be deceived by this. And, and that's what we're going to look at, and that's what we're going to talk about. Just, and again, this is more for fun. I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm not upset with anybody. I just want you to understand that what Paul is not talking about, getting, going out and getting drunk, but rather he's talking about something else. But Scripture does have a lot to say about alcohol and wine and, and drinking. And I, I just want to give you the biblical perspective about it. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up or anything like that. Come over with me to John chapter 2. In Scripture, by the way, when you talk about this subject, which obviously a lot of people don't, because you usually disappoint somebody, or you come along and you have the other crowd that says, yeah, good, get them, preacher, you know. And when you think about this, in Scripture, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. Okay. Again, some will say, what? And others will say, see, I told you, honey, let's have another one. You know, <laughs> now that's not the attitude to have either. When you come to the issue of, of alcohol in scripture, you really need to have a biblical viewpoint about it and an understanding. In scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ is associated with wine a lot. Okay, John chapter 2, you have the wedding here at Cana, and he's going to do something. He's going to turn water to wine, isn't he? Verse 2, and both, Jesus, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I do to do with thee? <laughs> Mine hour is not yet come. Boy, that's a loaded answer right there. So anyway, his mother saith unto... By the way, the reason it's loaded is this is the first miracle that the Lord does. And the first miracle of the Lord, the first miracle of Peter, the first miracle of Paul are all dispensational miracles. And the first miracle here that he's going to do in changing the water to wine is it's, it's, a, it's a dispensational picture of his coming kingdom and the restoration of Israel into her rightful place. So he, that's why he says, woman, what do I, it's not my hour to come. So it's not time for me to go do all that, but we'll do this. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, you got six. Okay, we're going to do some hard math. Now, what is a firkin? 
That's what everybody wants to know. What's a firkin? Well, a firkin here, according to Schofield's little note, is about nine gallons. Well, all of the different handbooks I have say 8.7777777. So what? Nine gallons. Okay? So you got nine, right? You got three of them at three gallons. So how many gallons? 27, right? Did I do that right? All right. But you got how many pots? You got six. So what do you got? Six times 27. You got 162 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine, isn't it? Yeah. Verse 7, Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So that's why we use three instead of two, because they're what? Really full. All right. Verse 8, and he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto them, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. <laughs> you know, what happens, you get the good wine, you get them all liquored up, and then you start watering it down, and in the kingdom, it ain't going to happen that way. It's going to be completely the reverse. The best is coming later, okay? The point is, come over to Matthew 11, is that the Lord here is, is involved in, Matthew 11, the issue of wine, and that's the issue here. Matthew 11, look, if you will, at verse 18. Matthew eleven eighteen. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man come eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Notice what they, what they call him, gluttonous. Was he gluttonous? No. Was he a wine-bibber? No, he wasn't. But, but wine is associated here. But eating and drinking, see that eating and drinking, what were they drinking? Wine. That's what they are. Come over to Matthew 26. So the Lord, when you think about, when you come into Scripture, the Lord, he's, it's okay to drink. He drank it. But there's something about it here that you need to pay attention to. Matthew 26, look at verse 28 and 29. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In Mark 14, he says, I will drink it no more. So from this moment on, guess what he doesn't drink? Wine. He's going to Calvary, by the way. This is in the upper room, the meal there. The Passover meal's done. He institutes this issue here the, with, the, with the New Testament angle, what is called misnomerly the communion, the, okay? The, the Lord's Supper, that's the word I was looking for. It's not. It's something that he's doing with them. And you know what he says? Hey, from now till the kingdom, I ain't drinking no more wine. Because in the kingdom, I'm going to drink what with you? New wine. So in Scripture, there's two kinds of wine. There's a new wine... And there is a, 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 a stronger wine, an older wine, the fermentation. Notice in verse 29, I will, drink not, I will not drink henceforth of this 
notice, fruit of the vine. Notice how he just defined for you what wine is. It is the fruit of the vine. Come back with me to Isaiah 65. Am I going too fast? Just kind of think about this. Isaiah 65. When we talk about, in Scripture I'm talking about, Isaiah 65 and verse 8. In Scripture, there's two kinds of wine. There's the new wine, the fruit of the grape, the fruit of the vine, and then there's the fermented type, the type that has gone through the fermenting process. He'll call it the stronger drink or strong wine. Isaiah 65, 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. Notice, the new wine is found where? In the cluster. Deuteronomy 32, verse 14. I gave it to you there. He talks about the pure, gra- pure blood of the grape. That's the vine. That's what he's talking about. Song of Solomon uh, over there, he talks about the... the oh, look at that. You've got to look at that one. Sorry. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 8. Song of Solomon 8, in verse 2. Song of Solomon 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy 32 there, verse 14. I'll read the verse to you. He talks about, Thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. In the Garden of Eden, what Adam and Eve partook of was the grape of the vine. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is associated out with that vine tree, Judges 9 talks about and the vine they went up and they partook not of an apple okay but of the grape the number six we'll get over there in just a minute the forbidden fruit is that fruit of the vine because it does something you got song of solomon now you found it chapter eight you found that verse two thy navel is like a that's not verse two it helps if i'm in eight doesn't it verse two i would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me, I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. (laughs) What a description. The spiced wine of the juice of the pomegranate. So when you think about wine, and you think about it being the grape, what do you do when you have a vineyard? You you read constantly, come back there to Isaiah uh, 24, you read constantly that uh, where Israel has that vineyard and there's a wine press in the vineyard. Well, why would you have a wine press? To get the juice out of the wine. And what do you do? You go tread it. You're trodden it down. You go out there and you squish it with your feet and you walk around in it. Could you imagine doing that? And I, I think about that and I go, oh, that's creepy. Squirting up through your toes and all that stuff, you know. But that's what you're doing. You're out there and you're, you're going through it. And he says, hey, there's a grape there. When he talks about wine, Isaiah 24, when he talks about wine, the new wine, he's literally talking about grape juice. That's what we call it, grape juice. Okay? That's what he's dealing with. The new wine, that's not the fermented side. Look at, look at Isaiah 24. Look at verse 13. When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaning grapes 
when the vintage is done. The gleaning. They go over there and they harvest it and they put it in the wine press. And then they press out that pure juice of the grape. The fruit of the vine. And they call, he calls it vintage. Not distilled. There's no distillery here. There's no fermentation. Again, he's talking about the, the grape juice. The juicing of it. What do they do? They juice it. The orchards. The vineyards, sorry. They juice it, they go stick it in a barrel, and they wait five, ten years, right? Well, what has happened? That's the fermentation part. That part is the part that's the bad part. Your flesh says, no, that's the good part. No, that's the bad part. When you come in Scripture, talking about Scripture, come back over with me to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. Again, two types of wine. We're talking about the new wine here. Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. When the Lord talks about drinking wine, he's talking about drinking the new wine. The grape juice, the fruit, the blood of the grape. That's what he's talking about. Matthew 9, 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment. For that which is put in, the, in it, in that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. That's what he's talking about, the new wine. Now, the old wine, the fermenting process, come back to Proverbs Chapter 23, Proverbs 23. Here's the old wine. Here's the fermented side of it. So in Scripture, you got two kinds of drink. You got two kinds of alcohol. You got two kinds of wine. You got the new, the pure, the okay, the juice, and then you've got this fermented kind, the fermented side, the old wine. Now Proverbs 29, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 23. And verse 29, 23-29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Notice that description. Have you ever woke up and go, man, how did that happen? From a stupor? Been drunk out a little too late? Never? Okay, good. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, they're long at the wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is what color? Red. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's fermentation. When you take that grape juice and then you go over here and you distill it, you know what it does? It moves. There's a chemical breakdown. There's a movement of itself. You guys ever watch that TV show, Moonshine? Moonshiners? The Makers? And you see those guys, and you know what they do? They start over here with, with wonderful ingredients when you break them on their own. And then it comes over here and the guy sticks his little thing down there and goes, ooh, that's good. 
And the next thing you know, they're passed out drunk on it because, wow, it was really good. What did it do? It fermented. It, there's a process there. What's it doing, verse 31? It's moving itself aright. It's changing its color. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. When Paul says, don't be drunk in excess... He's talking about that future wine in the satanic religious system, but he's also talking about this old stuff right here. Verse 32, at the last. You know, we always look at the beginning, don't we? You ought to be looking at the last. When do you win the race? In the beginning or in the end? In the end. You see? It's always fascinating. You watch a beer commercial, boy, they look great in the beginning, don't they? They never show you the end, though, do they? No, they don't. Everything, he's a captain. They don't show you the shipwreck later. See? I had to think of something to liven you up. There's a little dead in the room. Pass out the juice. <laughs> no, look, so in Scripture... You got those old and the new. When Christ is talking about drinking wine, he's talking about drinking the new. The fruit of the vine. The fruit issue. So the Lord, okay to drink. Now, come to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Then you've got wine this way. In, in 1 Timothy 5, in verse 23, where Paul is talking to Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often off infirmities. Now, Paul to Timothy, what did he just say? Don't drink the water. Quit drinking water. Get in the hooch, man. Get in the wine. See, that's how we say it. That's how we think. Woohoo! it's a prescription right there. Let's go drink. But that's not what Paul's talking about because the context of the, ver the rest of the verse says what? Use it, not drink it. Not consume it, but use it. It's, it's rather the issue here is not a beverage of binge drinking it, but rather it's the issue of medicinal use and using it for medicine and medication. If you go back and you pick up one of those books about the old wives' tales on how to home remedies, that's it, not wives' tales, home remedies, you'll find alcohol all through some of those recipes. Why? Because you, you can you take a little Jack Daniels and you rub it on the gums of your kids' teeth, and guess what happens to them? They go out like a light. Don't believe me? Um, I'm not going to say try it because that's the preacher, but just why? Because there's, there's something in that medicinal that eases that. We're going to see it here in just a minute. But see, the thing, and, and now, by the way, I'm not okaying child abuse by drink, getting them drunk, okay? But there's, there's some legitimacy to it. It's, unfor it's unfortunate you got to say that, cause it, but that's what it is. That's what Paul's talking. Use it. It has a, by the way, use a little wine. Use, that means it's got an end to it. It's not a continual thing. It's a one moment, one in time, you got trouble in your stomach, do it, boom, and then stop doing it. Okay? Now, come to Proverbs 31. By the way, you notice we're in Proverbs a lot. Proverbs got a lot. 
But, and there's a reason, and we'll get there in just a minute. Proverbs 31, Samuel's mother gives him a little advice here at the end of Proverbs. Proverbs 31.1, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Lemuel is another name for Samuel. Or, I'm not Samuel, Solomon. Man, Solomon, okay? And it's going to talk here, and it helps us a little bit about the issue of drinking and getting drunk, if you will. Verse 2, what my, what my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes and strong drink. So what's she telling him? Don't drink it. Don't drink wine. Don't, don't get the old wine out. Don't get the, 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 don't. Why? Verse 5. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. That's why most people, you know why most people drink? and go get drunk, is verse number 6 and 7. They've got a heavy heart, and they want to drink to forget. Do you know what the problem with that is? Is when you sober up the next day, guess what's still there? The heavy heart and the problem. See? Because you're focusing on trying to fix it over here in a realm that isn't going to fix it, rather than fixing it in who you are in Christ. So what do people say? Well, Jesus said drink, so we can drink. Paul says go use it, so we can use it. Mother to Samuel or to Solomon says use it. By, by the way, there in verse 6, give strong drink to who? To them that are ready to what? Parent. That's hospice care, folks. That's somebody on the deathbed at the end that's struggling and you... You give them so they'll, you know, we have medicine today to do that, to ease their into eternity. That's where he's talking. He's not talking about go down here to Bill's Barbecue and shop and grab or whatever and load up. First time I ever saw a drive through liquor store was Mesa. Mesa Drive in Broadway. I'm like, holy cow, look at that. Whew. Drive on through. And they had a line down around the block doing good business. And he had room on both sides. He was a two-window helper. I'm like, wow. What's, where are you supposed to do that? This is, again, medicine. Come over to Deuteronomy 14. It's in a medical situation. He's not talking about going out and loading up, and, but rather someone who is at the ready to perish. Give them a soft exit. So let's be clear. It's not a sin to drink in Scripture. Sorry. But don't use the Lord or Paul's advice to Timothy to excuse it away. All right? Those are illegitimate places to go. Paul would not have told... By the way, Paul would not have told Timothy to use it if it had been a sin. Paul would not tell you, go out there and commit adultery... If it wasn't what? 
if it was okay. It's not, it's, so he says, don't go do it. Why? Because it's a sin. He, Deuteronomy 14. Don't use it as a way to deal with the difficulties in life. You have life in Christ. That's where you ought to be focused. Deuteronomy 14, verse 26. In Deuteronomy 14 here, in this section, he lays out the tithing rules for Israel. And the tithing, there's three tithes in Israel. There's one for the government, the Levitical tithe, where they give to take care of the tribe of Levi and the operating of the government. Then there's a tithe uh, to help with the welfare system. For, as they can, you know, when they, they, they glean the field and they leave the corners for the poor and stuff, and they do that. Then there's a tithe for you to keep. It's a vacation account. <laughs> Don't tell Linda, but I've been keeping a vacation account. <laughs> okay? And three times a year, they are told to go to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 16, 16. In the year, they're to take their tithe money, they're to take their tithe, they're to convert it to money, and they're put it in a vacation account. Now, if I told you that's how you're going to tithe for the vacation, everybody in the room, the offering box would be full every Sunday. Okay? By the way, you do have a vacation coming. It's called eternity. So fill up the offering box for eternity, okay? <laughs> I can, we can spin it, can't we? But the, yeah, that's a real bad spin, right? Okay. But see... <laughs> The thing is, is that's what they're going to do. Now, watch, watch in, the, in the command here, verse 26. And thou shalt bestow thy money for whatsoever thou, thy soul lustest after. Now, they're in Jerusalem. They're up there on vacation. And it's the males that go. And what are they going to do? They're going to convert their money, and they're going to go spend it where their soul lusteth after. For an oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desirest, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. Look at that. What, are, what do they get to go do? Whatever, party. They get to go do whatever they want to do. They get to go drink the strong drink. By the way, notice how lust is defined for you in that verse. Thy soul lusteth after whatsoever thy soul, what, desireth. You don't need a dictionary. Just read the verse. It defined it right there for you. You take that tithe money, you go up to Jerusalem, you get you a big old beef steak. I don't know what oxen, but beef steak. You get you a set of lamb chops over here. You get you whatever you want. You go. And guess what? It's not a sin. God's not going to judge you. Because you're up there partying because Deuteronomy 16, 16 said you got to go. And this is what you're going to do. You, you follow that. Come back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. So, how should we think about this? Right? It's not a sin. Don't use the Lord or Paul to Timothy or Solomon's mom, Proverbs 31, or even Israel's, you know, festival. Yeah. Boy, every Friday night's a festival in my house. Woohoo! You know, don't do that. Let them be where they are. How should we think about this? 
people, let me say it like this, believers who don't want to risk in Israel the leaders, you're number six, right? Leaders that did not want to risk troubles, but rather seek the more excellent thing, the, more, the thing of more value, Philippians 1, 9, and 10. You know what they wouldn't do? They wouldn't drink. They wouldn't even drink the new wine. In number six, you have the vow of the Nazarite. Do you remember the famous Nazarite in Judges? Samson. Number six, verse number two there, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to a vow, a vow of the Nazarite, to separate themselves unto who? The Lord. What's the greater value? Separating unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Notice that. There's the forbidden fruit. And shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. You know what he says? You stay away from that vine completely. You don't get the stuff down it that they've sucked out everything and made it raisins. I hate raisins. I'm sorry. I don't. It's like, you know, you buy the trail mix and they're full of raisins. It's like, I don't. Ugh. Okay? Uh, no comment. Ezekiel. Look over at Ezekiel 44. What's the leader going to do? What's the guy that's going to take the Nazarite vow? What's the leader not going to risk? He's not going to risk Proverbs 31. He's not going to risk losing something. Look at Ezekiel 44. This is the millennial kingdom. This is future. In, in, in uh, number six back there, there's time past. He, Ezekiel moves us out into the millennial kingdom. Uh, number Ezekiel 44, 21. Neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. Look at that. The, even in the priesthood, they couldn't Drink wine. They're in the kingdom. They're not going to drink wine. Leviticus 10, the priests don't drink wine. Why? Because it messes with their faculties. They're not going to drink wine. Not because it's a sin, but rather, again, go back there to Proverbs 31, but rather because they are a leader and they don't want to risk something. They don't want to risk trouble. They don't want to risk confusion. The old joke about the guy come out stumbling out of the bar and he's out underneath the lamppost looking for his keys. And the policeman pulls up and says, what you looking for? He goes, I lost my keys to my car. He goes, well, where'd you lose them? He goes, over there somewhere. He goes, why are you standing in the light? He goes, because that's where the light's at. A little confused. Yeah, wait a minute, is right. That's what the leaders are doing. Look at Proverbs 31. Look at verse 4. It is not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for his priests strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. You know what happens with the king? Rulers, leaders, you're on call 24-7. 
What, what would happen if you called me and I had just not even woken up from a hangover? And you ask me for advice and I give you something wrong. It would be the last time you called me. I would hope so. <laughs> okay? Because of 1 Timothy 3. That's where we're headed. Just a second. Okay? But see, the thing is, is the issue is kings and priests and princes. They're, they are always to be clear-minded. Paul calls it sober-minded. And a leader is always to be ready. Isaiah 28, to have clarity of thought. It isn't that you can't have it. It isn't a sin to drink. It's that, hey, you and I have to be level-headed. We have to have clarity here. Isaiah 28, verse 7, he says, But they also have erred through, what? Wine. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Look at that. You didn't think vomit was in the Bible, did you? You know, he says, listen... As a leader, if I'm going to come up there and I'm going to have you give me advice, I can't even get in because of the stench of the room from your passed out drunk. They've erred in judgment. And as a result of that, you guys know John Verstegen and the church over in San Juan? They rent a room, and one Sunday we went in, and the night before, they had had a dance because it's a city was a city rec building, and the stench in the room. And the janitor, the poor guy, he was there, and he goes, "I'm I'm getting it, preacher. I'm getting it." And he was he had mopped that floor like eight times, trying to get. There's the result. Priests and prophets, leaders. Wow. In Scripture, folks, leaders are to be looking for the greater value. They're not going to come over to 1 Timothy 3. They're not going to look to the wine or even the strong drink. They're going to stay away from it. 1 Timothy 3. You guys, if I, see what's going on? The, 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 <laughs> scripture's full of this stuff. Again, it's not a sin. I mean, you go have a drink, okay? But there's a consequence to it. 1 Timothy 3.1, this is true. This is a true saying. If a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. By the way, notice desire there, not pick, chosen. It's something you, you get into it, you want to do it. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, what? Sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor striker, nor greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules, and so on. By the way, if you're, a, if, you're, if you're a bishop, a leader, a teacher, and you're drunk, you know what you will become? A striker and a brawler. We'll see a verse here in a minute about the rage that comes from it. What's, what's Paul say? 
If you're going to be a leader today, you need to be sober-minded. Verse 8, and likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. I love this one, not given to much wine. <laughs> bishop, you can't have any, but deacons have a little bit so you can deal with the bishop. <laughs> you know, that's how that gets played, okay? Because the bishop can, huh? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, nothing over there now, yeah. See, but why? Because as leaders... We don't want to be in a situation where we're not sober-minded. We want to be in the situation where we can give sound advice and give good advice. So in Scripture, people who want to excel in the service for the Lord, they don't risk something that will damage that ability to think clearly and to serve. That's why. In Scripture, there's a general tone against alcoholism and against being drunk and drunkenness. You follow that? There's there's an issue there, okay? Now, come back to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Just look at this. The first time, the first occurrence, usually in Scripture, if you can go back and find the first occurrence of something, it usually gives you the tenor of what's going to happen the rest of Scripture. Not always, but usually. In Genesis 9, you've got Noah come off the ark. Uh, By the way, this has been labeled uh, the first drunken sailor is right here, okay? You think about that, all right? Look at verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. So he's a farmer. He's got a plant. He's got a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham and the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. What happened there? He passed out drunk, didn't he? And there are curse results in that. So so being drunk in Scripture is not a good place to start. (laughs) The first occurrence here, the first drunken sailor results in a curse. Come over to chapter 19 of Genesis. So getting drunk is not where you want to be. We went to a party one time years ago. Man, we had just gotten started. We were down on baseline, and the family wanted to have us over. And the husband came to me, and he said, Now, Pastor, I just got to warn you. I got beer in the fridge. And I said, What kind? And he looked at me, and I'm like, No, seriously, what kind? Are you? And I said, That's okay. Just don't offer it to me or my family. I don't care. It's your house. Have at it. And he's like, Really? I'm like, yeah. just a, So we get there. You know what he does? Hey, preacher, want a beer? I got a beer for you. I'm like, come on, really, dude? <laughs> but he was kidding. It was a joke, you know. And I asked him if he had anything harder because I don't like beer. You know? And he's like, what, what, what? You know? And that's the thing. It's not a sin, folks, but there is some warnings about it here. Look at Genesis 19. Look at verse 32. By the way, if it was a sin, who paid for it? Christ did. But it's a lifestyle issue. It's something do you want to risk not being clear thinking. Uh, Genesis 19, 32. Here's Lot. You remember Lot? 
And his wife and daughters, as they flee out of Sodom and Gomorrah, his wife didn't make it very far. She became a pillar of salt. So they enjoyed the, the tequila and the uh, daiquiris and uh, all that stuff, right? I'm just kidding. They didn't. You guys have, come on, relax, would you? Jeez, I'm going on vacation here in about five minutes. <laughs> no, what, what happens? His daughters come, right? And they do something. Verse 32, come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they go in, you read down through the rest of that, and, and there's incest because he's drunk. He's drunken. And that incest creates in verse 37 the family of Moab. And in verse 38, the Ammonites, the two great enemies of Israel, come from Lot. They're family, folks. They hate Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And they, and they hate Israel. And you know where it came from? Incest because of drunkenness. It's not good. Drunkenness in Scripture is associated with mayhem and with murder. You go to Daniel 5, we don't have the time. Belshazzar gets dad drunk, kills him. I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar dies. Belshazzar throws a big shindig, a big thing. He's drunk off of his rock, if you will. The handwriting on the ord happens, and the Medes and the Persians just come right in and kill him and take the kingdom. All through Scripture, come back over to Proverbs there. Uh, Proverbs 4, just go to 4. Proverbs 4. When you come into Scripture, there's a reason why. You have mothers against drunk drivers. There's reasons for this. 5.3 million adults, 36% of those under correctional supervision at the time were drinking at the time of their conviction, of their, uh, uh, of their crimes. Drunk. Think about that. 36% of them. Out of the about 3 million violent crimes occur each year, 40% of all violent crimes today have alcohol involved in it. 37% of rapes and sexual assaults, 15% of robberies, 27% of aggravated assaults, 25% of simple assaults. That's a lot. And in 2020, you know what they said? That within that 2020, alcohol-related deaths, 95,000 people died because of alcohol. Binge drinking is up. 25.8%. Alcohol's use disorder. 14.5 million people under the age of 12 have had a drink. 414,000 adolescents, 12 to 17, have a drinking problem. The cost, $250 billion, and on and on and on you can read. There's a reason why Scripture comes in and says, hey, don't do it. Proverbs 4, look if you will there at verse 17, Proverbs 4, 17. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of what? Violence. Violent crimes associated with Drunkenness. Come over to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. It's page 956 if you're in the right Bible. 
Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is going to ask you if you read his book. He's going to tell you, yeah, that one Sunday Rick went into it. <laughs> Who are you exactly? Look at 2.15. Habakkuk 2.15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. You should have written down by that Romans 1.32 where they come in and they, they commit the sins and they have pleasure in them that do also. It's not a good deal. Proverbs 23. I love, this one is great. You know, all the psychology degrees, I had looked at the issue of becoming a counselor uh, for Alcoholics Not Anonymous, but a program I had found that we could use here. And I got to looking at their stuff and I'm like, but that's Proverbs. <laughs> So why do I need, well, you need the certification so they'll recommend people and blah, blah, blah. Look at Proverbs 23. Look at verse 21. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to what? Poverty. And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Poverty. You never leave, it never leaves you better than where it found you. Verse 32 again down there. At the last, it biteth like a servant, stingeth like an adder. Verse 35, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. Thou hath, they have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. It's talking about drunk. Isaiah 5 over there, it talks about it going to drink continually into the night, seeking it, looking for it. I'll come over to Galatians 5. By the way, folks, if you don't start, guess what? You'll never have to stop. You hear people say, oh, I stopped cold turkey. Two things. One, they're a liar because you can't just stop. And two, they're a liar. It's hard to just stop because it gets addictive, doesn't it? Galatians 5 tells you that. Look at, verse, look at Galatians 5. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are what? Manifest. Here's what they look like. Which are these? Look at verse 21. Envings, murders, what? Drunkenness. When you start drinking... You think of that list. You do any of that list, you know what you're satisfying? The lust of your flesh. And it doesn't leave you better than how it found you. It leaves you worse. You don't look how you start in the beginning and you... I heard a song about beer goggles. I'm like, what in the world are beer goggles? I listened to that song like four times, finally figured it out what it was. But I'm just sitting there going, holy cow, am I, where, what rock am I been hiding under? You know? It doesn't leave you better... And when it found you, it leaves you worse. It leaves you crawled up into that vomit pit filled room. Wine fuels your flesh. Now, come back to Ephesians 5. Where should we be? Well, we should be in Ephesians 5, verse 18, shouldn't we? Let's, let's not be filled with, be not drunk with wine wherein is what? Excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Hey, look, folks, drinking's not wrong. There's no sin, okay? But the, on, the, on the precipice of risking something, of risking testimony, 
of risking the ability to think clearly, even in the moment. I think the scariest thing is when you hear about a drunk driver. The DUI, I didn't even read you the DUI stats. Oh my goodness. Driving under the influence. Driving while intoxicated, DWI. That's, I just think, because you know what happens? Which lane am I in? I can't think, I can't react, I can't do. Don't get there. We are, we're to focus in on who we are in Christ. We're to not walk in our flesh. We're to focus on walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being filled with under the control of the love and the grace of God that comes from understanding the Word of God to me and who I am in Christ. And then coming to say that that testimony is more important than a little fifth or an eighth or a neat or a tie ball or whatever of this. By the way, I had to look all that up. Wink, wink. <laughs> Don't look for the temporary relief. Paul says not to give an appearance to evil. We're to be, we're to be filled with who we are in Christ. And when, when you do that, ah, but Rick, we just have one here. That's fine. Again, Taking a drink isn't a problem. It's the lust of the flesh that becomes the problem. Because it's not one, it's two, it's half a bottle, it's a whole bottle, now we're ten bottles in. And you know what's wonderful? We talked last week, you have freedom to do that, by the way, to go that way. You have freedom to wake up wherever you wake up. You chose to be there. God let you, have, let you have that freedom. God knows where that freedom that you have can lead you to. We talked about freedom last week. He knows that that freedom can lead you right back into bondage. The bondage that sin produces. But you know what? He also knows that once you reach bottom, he's going to be right there to help you up. Because when you're weak, he's strong. He says that. He knows that when you reach that bottom, you're going to say, this is not who I am. And he's going to say, I know. Now let's come and be who you are. He lets you go through things that are dumb and stupid things, by the way. He lets you make your choices so that you can learn that if you walk in your flesh, if you walk in your way, the great song, I did it my way, if you do that, then it's just going to be dumb and stupid in the end. But if I can come over here and walk as who I am in Christ, that that's where peace is going to be. That's where grace is going to be. That's where love is going to be. That's where, that's where excitement can be. We were having a party, church get-together at some folks' house, and they had invited their neighbors to come. And I knew ahead that they were coming. And it was, it was said to me that, hey, they're coming. Go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I'm, one more here, I'm sorry, thinking about it. 
They said, hey, our neighbors are coming, and we want you to know they're coming because there will be no drinking at this party. I'm like, okay, the neighbors want takes no drinking, fine. Shouldn't be any drinking anyway. And he said, and I said, why? What's your reasoning? What's, he goes, because I want my neighbors to see you can have a good time without drinking. And I think we had some of the best time. And you know what? Everybody went home not drunk. Because you didn't need a little drink to forget or to, you know, the fun, you know, they always say, you know, you go watch the drunk people because they're the funniest. No, you can have fun without having to have the drink. Look at Sol- Solomon 1. This, that made me think of this and we'll be done. Verse 1. The songs... The song of songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Isn't that interesting? As he describes the relationship between him and that believing remnant, him and the little flock of Israel, you know what he says? Thy love is better than wine. In chapter 4, verse 10, she says, the bridegroom speaks, How fair is thy love! My sister, my spouse, how much better is thy love than wine? Says it right back to the bridegroom, to the bride. The bride says, thy love is better than wine. The the groom says back, no, thy love is better than wine. My sister, my spouse. You and I, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to have that same thing. So when he says there, don't be drunk with wine, he's not talking about going out and getting hung over. Scripture said, hey, it's okay if you do that. It's just dumb and stupid. Don't do it. This is who you are. Come and be this. But rather, he's going to talk about something totally different when we get back. And he's talking really about the wine of her fornication and the issue of the religious system out there. Okay? All right. Again, I'm not upset with anybody. I'm not angry. Okay, I don't drink. I haven't in a long time. Many, many moons ago, years ago. I'm not holier than you. Never have, never claimed to be. Just be better thinking about it, clearer about it. Best way is to understand Scripture, what Scripture say about it. Okay, hopefully you got an idea. All right? Anyway, dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son for everything that you've given to us in him, for all sufficiency. We lack nothing. We have it all. And Lord, I just pray that we would bring that into our thinking and that into our hearts on a daily basis so that whatever is done, word or deed, would be, all, would be done for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.